This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be on this, at least here in L.A., absolutely gorgeous Sunday morning. Not a cloud in the sky, blue skies. You can actually see the mountains, which is pretty amazing. Anyway, we're here for you, here for your pets. Anything you want to talk about, now is the time to ask away. I have my Instagram live audience here. I'm waving to um, people as fast as I can. Love the fact that you're here joining me. Get your questions ready. Anything you want to talk about is good with me. How do you get a hold of me? Well, here on Instagram live, you know how to do it. You just type away. Here on Pet Life Radio, you can go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, click on the link left you for there by our producer, Mark, and you can join us here live with your pets, hopefully. Or if you are afraid to be seen in person on video, there's always the toll-free number 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Give a call. We'll patch you in and you can talk here and I will share your questions with my group here on Instagram Live. So let's see. I know there was a question here. Oh, my nephews are sneezing. That's my canine nephews, by the way. Can dogs get colds? They can get either viruses. They get the influenza virus. They also get the para-influenza virus. That's influenza-like. So in essence, it's a respiratory infection caused by virus. It's influenza-related. So yeah, I guess it is a cold, but we don't call it colds. We just call it upper respiratory infection. But because oftentimes they're respiratory and viruses, they may not respond to medications. Usually, the bacterium that causes URIs is the Bordetella disease. It's an infection. It's a bacterium. So that does respond to antibiotics. The others really don't respond to antibiotics. However, you could use antibiotics to help protect against secondary infection, which we often do. So uh, it will they usually run their course, keep them healthy. Otherwise, make sure they're eating, etc. Now, if it was only one dog sneezing and they were clearly, obviously uncomfortable with maybe rubbing at their face rubbing their face against a wall or on the carpet and sneezing and a lot of sneezing, then I would consider thinking about a foxtail, something that was inhaled up the nose. And that's what usually unilateral, meaning one-sided. They are really uncomfortable. Sometimes you can discharge, sometimes you can even see bleeding. Those dogs need to be checked ASAP to go up the nose and look for a um, foxtail. The fact that if it's just sneezing, if it's just a clearest discharge, it's more than one dog doing it. That's highly unlikely a foxtail, more likely something that's contagious, and uh, and that's it. Now, my thoughts, Katie Poo, uh, thoughts on emotional support dogs. Are all dogs who have to handle our emotions? Could dumping emotions on dogs cause any issues? So first of all, any dog that makes you feel better, that helps you cope with whatever it is you need to be coping for or about, then it serves the purpose as an emotional support dog. Now, the rating and the classification now of emotional support is a very, very gray area because a lot of people were getting these emotional support certifications online, no specific training other than helping you, which does that's really the basis of why you have the dog. So the airlines, for example, stopped allowing, quote unquote, emotional support dogs because people were abusing it and there were too many dogs. And they had to cut the line somewhere. So now 
for certification to bring a dog on an airline, it has to be a truly certified with papered service dog. So the emotional support dog thing is just not cutting it anymore. It's got to be a service dog. They have to train. As I said, costs a lot of money, depending on what service you need from the dog. And those dogs are still allowed on planes, but the emotional support dogs aren't. Now, if a dog, if it satisfies the purpose of why you have it, then that's considered an emotional support dog. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel more comfortable when you go out in public. It makes you more comfortable when you're sitting in a classroom, whatever the case may be. If it helps relieve your anxiety and helps you function better, then it's basically satisfying its role as an emotional support dog, in which case it's fine. Now, do the dogs know that you are counting on them for that support, or is it just in their nature? And personally, I don't think they pick it up. They do read our stress and anxiety. And if a dog reads our stress and anxiety and doesn't do well because of it, then clearly it wouldn't be a good emotional support dog for you. It could have another support purpose for somebody else. So it's got to be working for you. And they seem to be happy and healthy and, and comfortable doing it and performing whatever the role it needs to be, then it works. So anyway, my dogs have been very goopy for a couple of days. They aren't, oh, the eye, my dog's eyes. Should we see them by a doctor? So it's a good question. If the eyes are very red and inflamed and discharging, if the discharge is like a, a greenish or yellow, I would. If it's just a clear or whitish, and in every other way, the dog is fine, then you know I would give it a few days. Just like we, we get a little you know, eye goop. We wake up a little, sometimes a conjunctivitis, a little redness. I don't run to the doctor. Yeah, I give it a little while. You know, let's see what happens. Now, if the dog seems very uncomfortable, if it stops eating, if the dog is squinting, that's a key. If the dog is like really squinting, I can't do it with my glasses on, but you could just tell, especially if it's one eye and they're really uncomfortable. Ah, now we're talking out of potential corneal problem, a scratch or an ulcer or an erosion. Those need to be seen ASAP because if those are left unchecked, then it can turn out, uh, turn into something way worse and way more dangerous. So corneal issues shouldn't be taken lightly. They should be seen as fast as you can. I mean, you have to rush. I mean, like right now, but needs to be seen. So um, what we usually do when we are dealing with a conjunctivitis or some sort of irritation in an eye, we do what's called a fluorescein eye stain. We take the, a dye called fluorescein, which glows like this greenish color in uh, under a black light. And if there's any kind of scratch or break in the cornea, it takes up the dye. So you can actually see a linear scratch you can see in a whole area of an erosion. You can see an ulcer. So then we have to treat accordingly. So it's very important to have it evaluated. Now, if the eyes, the only issue is a little discharge, but the dogs are doing fine. And maybe if you lift up the upper lid and you look at the sclera, which is the white part of the eye, and it's a little more injected, meaning it means has more red, little teeny skinny red vessels. So it looks pinkish instead of whitish. It should be seen, but it's not as important an emergency as long as the dog is otherwise doing fine. Thank you, Steve. That's a great question. It says, what's your opinion about driving with your dog's head hanging out the window? And a perfect, perfect segue, just talking about eyes. So we do see something called exposure keratitis. And the important about exposure keratitis is this, that when we get even a little dust or a little hair, an eyelash in our eyes, 
it drives us bonkers, right? We're sitting there pulling a lid, we're touching it. My eyes are so sensitive. I can't imagine ever having to wear lenses, contact lenses, because I don't know how you guys who wear lenses just take that thing and pop it on your eye. I'd be blinking and tearing like crazy. Anyway, exposure keratitis is a real thing. And the issue real is the dogs, based on, of course, their evolution, they don't go so crazy when they have stuff in their eyes. I pulled really wicked stuff out of their eyes and it didn't seem to bother them that much. So when you're hitting, you know, on the freeway going 60 plus miles an hour and those dust particles are hitting the dog's eye, they're sitting there, and just, they're loving it. Their jowls are flopping in the wind, but is it really good for their eyes? Probably not. So it's probably better they don't do it because they can get eye irritation, eye scratching, and you won't know it because they're less sensitive. They don't respond and react to the debris in the eyes as we would. But there's something really cute out there called doggles, not goggles, doggles, D-O-G-G-L-E-S. And they're these big things. They fit on the head and they, they, they look funny. The dogs don't seem to mind them, but they get to stick their heads out the window. Now, even if you have a dog that's sticking his head out of a window, which is okay, better if they're protected with doggles, but make sure they're still harnessed in somehow that I worry I've seen it. I have heard about it from patients, and it happened to me once, a dog jumping out of a car window. And a moving car window on a freeway is not going to work out well. So you want to be really, really careful. Make sure they are safely strapped in. Make sure the windows are It's better if they could just get their little noses out the window. But if you're going to hang them out the window and they're well strapped in the car, they do enjoy it, no doubt about it. Think about getting uh, looking into doggles. Morning, my boxer's back claw, the nail that's on the top of the leg, detached itself. Should I take him to a vet? So that is very common. And this is, I'm kind of glad you brought this up because I have discussions, sometimes more heated, let's call it an argument <laughs> with some other doctors. Now, let's take this back a little bit because it's, there's, you know, there's always a backstory. So back in the day, we used to, when dogs were little puppies, remove their dew claws, okay? Uh, especially the hunting dogs. And dogs that were doing going to be doing a lot of running and brush and stuff for fear that they would get caught on something and the nails would break, et cetera, et cetera. I was about to do this on a little three or four day old puppy. And it, it's very easy. It takes a second. doesn't seem to bother them. It's so fast. Anyway, and one of my young associates says, what are you doing? I said, I'm just removing the dew claw. We're doing it all the time. No, you know, we're doing the dew claws. What are you doing? Sure we do. <laughs> no, we don't. So she shows me a video and, uh, Yes, you can't teach an old dog new tricks because I was taught a new trick. So uh, Dr. Gale, Andrea Gale, she showed me this video. It, it was a lecture from a, a veterinarian. I think it was from the University of Florida. He worked with racing dogs and, and athletic dogs. And he shows slow-mo photography of a dog jumping and landing. And as they land, okay, now remember this thumb, their dew claw, the thumb is way up there. But as they land, they have such a slow-mo that their feet land go all the way, all the way, all the way back. And guess what? Those thumbs, those thumbs prevent the joint, the wrist from rolling back and forth. They actually serve a function. I would have never believed it, but ever since then, I don't remove front dew claws. They do serve a function. Now, let's talk about hind dew claws. Now, first of all, most dogs that have them, except maybe, except maybe, the Great Pyrenees that are notorious, known for their double hind dew claws, you don't remove them, but most dogs that have hind dew claws, they're disjointed. They are not attached. They are literally flimsy. They're not attached to the joint. They're, they're literally floating out there. And those I highly recommend removing. Why? Exactly for this reason. 
they can't control them at all. So if it gets caught on something, it's a goner. And I've seen entire Drew Claws ripped off. And I've talked to other veterinarians that say, no, no, you don't remove, no, 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 no. They cannot serve a function. The only function they serve is the function of getting caught on things and getting torn off. So when it comes to hind Drew Claws, if they are detached, meaning there's no joint attachment, if they are not Great Pyrenees or other breeds that are known and have their uh, hind ducal, by the way, those are usually attached, but then I highly recommend removing them and exactly for this reason. So I will take that argument on with anybody. They are an accident waiting to happen. Uh, if they are uh, jointed, which some are, then it's a choice. When they land on their back feet, they don't have that same stretch. So I would still consider. Now, would I remove them as a sole reason? To anesthetize the dog? No, no. But next time we do a dental, next time we, if it's a spay or neuter, there's a procedure coming up that is more important that we have to, then yes, I would add it on as an added procedure. Great question. Thank you. Things really about my dog's eyes in the wind. I know it is true. We don't think about it, but, and they love it. They do. I've, I've, my dogs love it. My lab, he loves his head out the window. Well, he's a nut anyway. While we are taking our break over from Pet Life Radio, and I, you know, when I get those dirty looks from Mark, I know it's time. It's supposed to be every half base point at 15, and that's 918 now. So uh, when we come back, hopefully the more questions than not, I have some things to talk about as well. Don't go away. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet And we're back. We're back here live. I've been talking to New York Yankee 7 about kidney problems and a urine test following a blood test. So let me fill you in right here on Pet Life Radio. Dog had some elevation of the, of the kidney enzymes. It was concerned. And uh, the BUN, creatinine, and phosphorus elevated. And they want to see what's going on in the urine. What I usually do if I'm suspicious of urine problems or kidney problems, I'm going to include urine no matter what. In fact, on every blood test of a senior pet, I always... And I, I do thyroid and I do urine. And in cats, I actually do two thyroids and urine. So it is very important. So we're, we're just saying that, that if the urine is isostenuric, meaning has a specific gravity range between 1.008 and 1.012, for short, we call it between 10.8 and 10.12, then that could be an issue. Now, let's say you all of a sudden do a urine and on a dog, not necessarily kidney, but it's like 1.004 to 10.4. That means it's actually more dilute than tap water, than you know the normal waters in this, the U.S. and the United States. So then that's actually a good thing because that means when you are overhydrated, the kidneys are compensating and they're getting rid of more fluid than the body, even the, the total excess fluid beyond, way beyond what the body needs. 
And that means if you can make the urine concentration even less concentrated than 10, 8 to 10, 12, that's a functioning kidney. And certainly if it's greater than 10, 8 to 12, it's still working a little bit now. You have high kidney values and you get your uh, urine specific gravity back and it's 10 to 13 or 10, 14, I'd still worry. Now we really got to take a good look at those kidneys. So anyway, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I would, if well, if you're in LA, I'd be happy to take care of your puppies. <laughs> All right. Oh, but speaking of being in LA, I did an air vet call earlier in the week. In fact, I just talked to the uh, the owner today again, came from Saudi Arabia, except when I was in South Africa on a safari and was taking air vet calls from the US, but they were still US calls. This was the farthest call I've ever gotten. And I don't know, because usually you can't download air vet outside of the US. I've tried to tell people who live in London or other places where in, in Australia, they couldn't do it. How she was able to do it from Saudi Arabia, I have no idea. But anyway, it was a great case. And I believe I helped her out. So uh, that's good. Now, if you make your own peanut butter and no sugar or anything else, that's totally fine. In fact, if it's really good, send it my way. Yeah, but just not too much of it because peanuts, nuts are high in fat. And when they get too much fat, then we worry about pancreatitis. But to give a teaspoon and you know use a little bit to help them take their medication, that is totally fine. Unless you have a dog who has a predisposition to pancreatitis. Then, But no, normally, normal dogs, normal situations, I'm not too worried. Okay. Uh, New York Yankee, you're getting results on Tuesday. Send them to me and I'll take a look. Ah, why does some urine from some dogs burn the grass? Is there anything to help with that? So interestingly, and again, I don't know if it's been scientifically proven or not, but I, I see it most in intact females. It has to do with the acidity or mostly the basic uh, urine. When urine gets a pH above eight, it seems to be able to burn or leave that mark in grass. I don't usually see it with males. Now, one of my dogs is a spade female, and she urinates on our grass and other grass, and it never does it. I think it's more something to do with either the pH or other chemicals in the urine of an intact female that is causing that. It, it is a really good question. I wish I had a better answer. I don't think anyone's been able to answer it. So, uh, But look, I'll tell you what, look it up and see what you can find. Uh, either you know AI it on, on ChatGPT or something, or on just Google it and see if anyone has a good answer. I don't know if they uh, had. All right, Cindy is asking for requesting. If that's the case, Sin, I'm going to do it, but we've had some issues. So I'm going to try. I'm going to go live with Sin4. Cindy's one of my high school classmates. I have a couple of high school classmates here on the show in the morning. So I like that. All right. Anything else? All right. So while we have a little more time, let me just talk about some areas. We're seeing a rise in lepto, by the way. So talk to your veterinarians. For me, it used to be lifestyle. It still really is. But for some reason, in some areas of the country, it's becoming a problem. I'll get to you. Uh, Igor, I'm going to get to you in just a second. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. I like this one. So is raw milk better than pasteurized for all of the, the healthy people out there that want raw this, raw that? Yes. Experts say no. It's not any better. But what makes it worse is there is a greater risk of pathogens like the same pathogens in meat, E. coli, listeria, salmonella in raw milk. So it's not shown to be any better than pasteurized milk as far as nutritionally, but it may have some other problems that pasteurized milk doesn't have, and those are the parasites. Uh, again, oh, and a, a warning, I know it's we're now midway through summer, but if you're still planning on traveling with your pet during summer, yeah, really prepare. Because we had just talked about earlier about the airlines, being able to take your pet with you. If you're going to travel by car, get goggles if they like to head out the window. Speaking of water and water supplies, what I recommend if you're going to do automobile travel, 
start with a big five-gallon jug of water from your location. Every time you stop and you give water, when you make a stop, a pit stop, refill it, okay, to the top of the five-gallon. But now what it's doing is gradually reintroducing other water supplies into your five gallons, maybe now four and a half gallons. So it's slowly diluting things out and you don't get the problems that one would normally get for abruptly switching water supply. But hotels, this is the big one. You're going to see online, we're pet friendly until you show up with your 95 pound Mastiff or 190. And they say, um, no, we don't, we don't allow dogs that size. Well, on your website, it says you're pet friendly. Yeah, but we have a 40 pound pet limit. Whoa. Now you tell us. So make sure that they are pet friendly, but really pet friendly and see what they have or if they're, you know, maybe doggy daycares around the neighborhood, et cetera. Now, if you're traveling to stay with family, I would recommend, unless you really don't ever want to see this family again, in which case you'll want to do this, bring your dog with you unannounced. And uh, because it, it may not work out well. <laughs> and they say, you what? You brought your home. I don't have room for your dog, or I have four dogs of my own. So it's just a matter of preparation. And of course, the basics, bring your veterinary certifications of best vaccines. If they're on medications, bring the medications, bring some of their own food. I mean, just be prepared. Think about everything, okay? And then you'll be okay. You know, we talked about summer heat and summer things like that in the past. So now let me go back. I have a question about, I don't see my dog drinking a lot of water, but she still urinates regularly. I also give her water, a watermelon to make sure she is hydrated. So, you know, if a dog is urinating and the specific gravity is within the normal range, it's not greater than 1055 and it's not less than 108, okay, or 1012, then they're somehow getting enough. Either they're getting it in their food. Remember, canned food is 75% water. If you're feeding a lot of watermelon, a lot of water, that's the name in watermelon. So that just means that she's getting her hydration elsewhere and the kidneys are working fine and there is leftover urine. Now, my recommendation, my hunch would be if we weren't, were to measure the specific gravity of this urine, it would probably be pretty high, still normal, but on the high end of normal if she's urinating well, but not drinking a lot of water. So it sounds like you're supplementing with the watermelon is fine. 15 pound dog, you know, again, watermelon is not bad for dogs. It's a good source of fiber. The seeds are small. So if they do eat the seeds, if they're not using seedless watermelon, they're going to go right through. So yeah, I would just make sure it's the watermelon part and not the rind. Yeah, that's the only thing I would say because that's not is, is easily digestible because it's very, very hard as we know. So um, yeah, it's probably going to be fine. And uh, I said, if there's any doubt, just bring a sample in. You can just collect some urine, bring it to your veterinarian, have them run what's called the specific gravity, and you'll know from there if you're doing fine. So anyway, it is that time. If you have any questions during the week, you can always reach me here on Pet Life Radio, just Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I will get everything. And you can also reach me at Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com. You can reach me here on Instagram Live or just Instagram. Just send me messages. I will get back to you. Of course, there's AirVet. And uh, now if you're even watching this from far away, try downloading AirVet because I was surprised that we uh, were able to get a, a download from the App Store from Saudi Arabia. That was pretty cool. That's it. We have time. We're getting off. We're getting. We're finishing on time today, Mark. I think you'll be happy about that. All right. And again, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, anything you want to talk about, save them, and you'll you know get me saved for the show. If there's really good stuff, I would love to. And also keep your eye out. My performance line is uh, performance by Dr. Jeff is ready. We're going to be seeing it on my website. We're selling it. We're going to see it on Amazon. We will talk about different products as the weeks go on. Just give you some updates. 
I've already I've had some to my clients picked up that they love. I'm feeding my glucosamine chew. It's an MSM, glucosamine chondroitin, to my big, uh, almost 12-year-old Labrador. He loves them. So, you know, when you give a dog something that's good for them, but they really like it, that's a win-win. All right. Have a uh, great week, everybody. We'll see you uh, next week. Mark, we'll see you next week. Same time, same as we say, same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio. And, of course, here on Instagram Live. Be well. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.